0: Oh, there you are. I was hoping you'd make it. Come in, sit down. Welcome to the story. Well, if you've found your way here, then here is where you belong. Joining me at the table is Mr. Christopher Susi. Howdy. Hey, thank you for coming along. I, yeah, I, I appreciate you taking the time. My pleasure. So I know that you set yourself some very ambitious
1: writing goals. Oh, yes, in 2023. Uh, well, and it's funny, it all started in 2020. Okay. where I was going to write a feature length or full length every week. That's insane. That was my 2020. 2021 was spent revising the scripts that I wrote in 2020. And then 2022 was about kind of like marketing, like trying to okay. figure out how to get scripts into different hands and kind of figure out what the world of writing is like. Last year, I did something called From, from Concept to Submission which okay. means every month I would try to write a feature length, either screenplay or play, and then submit it to places that it was appropriate for. Again, contests? Contests, or there are theater open companies that, that, yeah. that open for submissions. There are producers okay. that sometimes do open calls. So these kinds of things. And it was really just trying to learn aspects of the business that I, you know, I've always been a, I'll write it, I'll produce it. So I was always a writer out of necessity more than anything else. It's like, oh, there's a hole in the season. We'll fill it. We don't have money. I'll write it. And that kind of becomes the art of the right became secondary to the obligation to deliver. So I've been I've just been really practicing being a writer. Thanks to the pandemic, I've learned that the beauty of writing is it's the weight that's on your shoulder is solely on your shoulder. Mm -hmm. Whereas the wider your production and the wider the things that you're involved in, you're sharing a burden, which is nice, but you're also risking the misstep that could hurt someone else or throw something else off. When you're just trying on your own, if you fall, then you're the only one who conceivably could be hurt. When you're working with a large group and you fall, you conceivably can hurt the whole group. And, And I had never felt the pressure of that until I was doing things on my own and I felt all this relief. I was, yeah. you know, my, like n- there's nowhere near as much anxiety when I'm sitting writing and and submitting. And if I get a rejection letter, I'm like, whew, okay. You know? <laughs> it's not the same as like getting 20 people on stage and having no one in the audience. That That's a totally different sensation where it's like, God, I, I've let so many people down yeah. in this regard. So, yeah, my writer's journey of late. Have has been to learn how to do the mechanics of it. Because yeah. I can write all day long. I can't sell. I'm not good at that. I can't yeah. market. I'm not good at that. So I have to learn those skills. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I was
0: even in marketing for a while and then realized how little I knew of how this world works.
1: Yeah, uh, product and service marketing is so easy to kind of get your mind around because the product you have it, a widget yes exactly here's what my widget does here's yeah. how it'll improve your life right and and what we create creatively is subjective so yeah. you are now trying to convince somebody else to, yeah. to see it from the subjective point of view right we're not selling buildings we're selling blueprints right exactly <laughs> and, and it's like oh gosh i don't know who wants this who is it that wants this and and then the lesson of course was that that doesn't matter I mentioned before, satisfy yourself first with your creation, right? And then present it as as the art that it is. And the people who come will be the people who are drawn to what you've created rather than going out and pushing it down people's throats. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? Right? Cuz yeah, cuz you also don't want to be that guy. Yeah. You want to be the one The door to door Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty, I've arrived at your home. <laughs> i like, "Ah, oh, slam." <laughs> now stand there i have a series of wigs.
0: <laughs> yeah i think there also is a different set of muscles you stretch when you know you're not going to be the one producing this oh absolutely
1: because and i had to break myself of this that that 2020 of writing was breaking myself of writing for the producer mind the producer mind yes. says i can't afford that right stay in one location stay yeah. in a don't have multiple scenes that no, no weird costumes, right. no weird props, because you get into that habit of being like, OK, this takes place in a living room and and everybody's modern day and that's it. This is yeah. how this story is going to go. And a lot of that is is just practical because yeah. y- y- you don't have a costume budget. You don't have a prop budget. You don't can't rely on coming up with these things Especially when you're writing to fill a hole of a overproduced season, <laughs> and there's no money left over. So yeah, uh, th- yeah. there's something wonderful. What do, do with a bare bulb and two chairs. Right, exactly. Um, uh, it's an interrogation scene. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love that. So I guess, what have you learned then? Like that, as you're trying to think, like what is, so, what are the sort of the lessons you've picked up? I mean, and you don't have, this doesn't have to be your final dissertation. Oh no. Like the so first thing up, like, is over that year, now that we're sort of have just crossed into a new year.
1: The what, first thing what the lessons? is that the writing is a, a relatively small part of the process. Mm-hmm. Because after the writing comes the selling or the searching or finding the home for what you've written. And so, fascinatingly enough, I've learned that once you have product in hand, the, the pegs that it fits become much more apparent as you go searching. So, like, you were looking for submission opportunities, right? Mm-hmm. And luckily, many, um, or unluckily, depending on how you <laughs> look at it, uh, many su- submission opportunities tell you very quickly that they're only interested in X, Y, and Z. And so as you start to learn what to avoid, it's like, well, I am not a mm-hmm. black lesbian living in Southern California. Uh, and that's what they're looking for in playwrights. So I know that's not where I'm going. I didn't write a environmental piece. I know that's not it. So you kind of get to into this place where you're realizing that there are theaters that cater to your taste. Yeah. They only produce... The thing, the kinds of things you write, and that's what I'm learning. I'm learning to map out where in the country those people are who who regularly create the kind of content I create. And that takes a lot of burden off of you, but it does take time to learn. You do have to do that work, that leg work of associating yourself with other writers or other creators who work in the same genre or same field or or create similar things, yeah, because their success, is the template of your success. Right. Because the audience that they have found are your audience. And it's, I guess that's another thing is it's far more collaborative than I ever thought it would be. I've been, I've become member of multiple writing groups and they're so Mm -hmm. supportive. Because you would think that that ego of, oh, competition, oh, oh no. But instead they're like, oh, you write just like so-and-so. You should go talk to so-and-so. This is incredible. Oh, you have the same feel as so-and-so. Which at a younger age probably would have annoyed me. Yeah. At a younger age, I probably would. I am myself. I write like <laughs> no no one writes like me. I am I am special in every way. But but then to learn no, what they're really saying is there's a call for what you do. Oh yeah, they're really well, that's saying a really good is, way to look at it. Yeah, it's not that you write similar to somebody else. It's that yeah. the material that you write um, has found purchase somewhere, has served someone, that means you're on the right track. It means that, and you want to be on the track that those people are on. You want to find those people and associate with them. And because they're, again, surprisingly supportive. With wondrous achievements, they're still very humble and they're still very quick to be like, oh yeah, I'll give you this. I think in this entire time, I've only run into one or two people that I didn't jive with. I wouldn't even say that. It's just that we weren't on the same page. Yes. And other than that, I I reach out to other creatives, especially who are doing something simple. Yeah. One of my,
0: one of my friends became friends because I was such a huge admirer of her work. Like she had done a play that absolutely blew me away. I was like, I could not be more of a target audience than this. And then had yes. a chance to say that and then have now become friends because of that too. Our, I don't think our styles are that similar, but at the same time, it's, I respect her opinion almost more than anybody else for, for that exact thing. And I, and technically we're in competition because I mean, there's only so many theaters. There's only so many, especially like in, in the same city, but right. I never really feel that way. No. It's I have two yeah. friends and have
1: been like, all right, Right. And that's another thing is uh, it's amazing because when you get into a certain pattern of it, you celebrate with other people's triumphs. Yeah. Especially when you get to know them and you're starting to work in the same field. It's like every now and then you might hear sour grapes from someone, but the vast majority of people are like, go. Great. Congratulations. Because every victory for a writer is in your realm. It means right. that you are in the company of people who are uh, finding success. And we should celebrate. We should always celebrate when somebody's like, uh, I'm getting produced or I won this contest or anything like that. Even if you went against them and lost out, yeah. that doesn't preclude your ability to say, Great job. So awesome for you. Yeah.
0: I joined a uh, screenwriting group when I first sort of moved out uh, to Phoenix and they do a live read thing where they have a bunch of actors. So it's like a a jam session almost. Like you come in and they rent out a space, like a bar or a, a comedy club or whatever. And then they just randomly assign actors to whatever roles. And then they, and then you have, actors like professional actors in the valley so you're getting you get to see a bunch of actors i picked up a bunch of actors there like put them in my pocket i'm like i'm gonna call you someday (laughs) and i have multiple ones i have and then you get to see a lot of people's writing up and then performed and then you get feedback so i that was a huge lesson for me in not only that but also how to take feedback because some people are not very good at it. And I was like, oh, this is a talent. This is
1: absolutely a skill, I should say. Oh, absolutely. And you learn with feedback how much of the individual is dictating their perception. Because I went to one that had multiple plays in it, but there was one person whose feedback was always very much in the realm of, well, you just hate women. Well, you just hate women. (laughs) Yep. And it was like, yeah. I'm not going to argue that point, right? But it's interesting to me that across the board, you couldn't find a single playwright that liked women, which mm-hmm. kind of suggests maybe mm. there's yeah. something personally Just going on. Stores. Yeah, because it, it, the first couple, it's like, whoa, that was rough. I didn't, I didn't even see yeah. that. I didn't even notice. Yeah. But, because ultimately, every critique was valid. Yeah. But it all was colored with that particular color, and right. after a while, you're just like, "Huh, okay, yeah, I see it." But now I think you're just looking for it. Yeah, it's, right. it, it, it's that classic. George Lucas hates women. Look at Star right. Wars. That, that's not the Bletchell test. That's not going to you know work. Yeah. And I was like. Yeah, that's, maybe he's just bad at that part. Maybe he just doesn't have the comprehension. Not to mention stories of that ilk and of that time, yeah, weren't yeah. well known for presenting. We remember, we remember Flash Gordon, right? Like that. You know,
0: we don't remember anyone else for the rest of the. Day. Yeah. There was no strong female lead. It was well, even like, yeah, when Tarzan, Sherlock Holmes, like all these things, all these classic yeah. characters, right? You know, uh, of, of like the serials that
1: the he serials would have watched, that, that, that he was actually trying to replicate or yeah and yeah it was also a very sexist time in hollywood so the the criticism is not wrong it's just sort of an after effect really
0: yes i've had to have had this conversation with my my 16 year old because i show her stuff from different eras and i was like okay (laughs) well i'm gonna show you like there's some stuff in here but (laughs) what you have to understand is by the time of the era, and and not even showing her like like going with the wind or whatever but like even stuff from the
1: 80s oh yeah no, I, I mean there was, no. there was like, what was, was it Soul Man? Soul Man, yeah. What a was, nightmare when you yeah, think exactly. about it. Like yeah, idea,
0: yeah. I'm like, no, this was mainstream entertainment. Yeah, it like, was. This was. This was. These were A-listers like, doing American, yeah, exactly. multiplexes across the country. You don't understand. Like, just to give you an idea of like how far we come and you know how
1: far we have to go, just to let you know, you know, say and I, I didn't actually show her those things, but that was. Yeah. But, but Soul Man is a great example of they really thought they were doing something. They thought and in many ways, we're going to talk about race in a way that no one has. They kind of did what they succeeded at, which in retrospect is horrifying, was raising a conversation of the period of the time. Yes. Which was also weird because it was kind of a rom-com making it even more is, oh, so we're laughing at this. So now it's funny to watch a white person in a black person's shoes go through this kind of uh, nonsense. But yeah, and it's funny because Soul Man does not come up as often as it should when people rail against blackface.
0: Yes. I mean, like you go from that to, I recently rewatched a lot of Night Court. Like oh, the new sure. One has come up, but like the last one and like the amount of transphobia yeah. in that show is I was like, wow, I had not, like there are so many punchlines are guy in a dress, like all a like constant, Well, we like can't every, even- every three or four episodes. I was like, wow, I forgot how much of a- easy punching bag that was back then and so i was then like saying when she would i didn't show it that to her but but we as we were talking about some of those things and sort of now becoming like 2024 eyes saying there was a there's a whole like i said kid you don't understand there's a whole thing of movies of men dressing as women and and the gay panic that goes along with that, like from Joanna Man oh, yeah. to Mrs. Doubtfire. I mean, all the this. I'm like, you, you understand? Like, this was a Whoa. genre, like, this was a style of film that was. Well,
1: it's a style over. of comedy, it, right? Yeah, it, it was it Milton Berle, famously yeah. did drag for Last Flip Wilson, famously. Yeah. yeah even Medea, hey, because people don't really talk about Medea as a trans phobic icon (laughs) because it comes down to this weird sort of place where the comedy is not unsound. It's not, it, 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 the insensitivity is a retrospect effect, but the comedy of a man dressed as a woman trying to indicate the disparity Mm -hmm. between the two is a, is, was such a a part of the comedy shtick that as we grew into awareness that it was hurtful, it was like, oh gosh, that's so strange because I, you can't assert that anyone was thinking, I'm going to take him down a peg. <laughs> or even suggesting that there was anything other than this man is pretending to be a woman for the comedy effect. Right. And you're like, but where do we start drawing the lines? At what point? Because you're right. The joke in so many of those yeah. is how ludicrously homophobic, even. The, yeah. the notion because you, you almost always have the situation where some man is attracted to the man uh-huh. pretending to be a woman. And that's right. supposed to be the comic point. What's so funny about that again? Yeah. <laughs> it's like tra- Charles of- Durning trying to sleep with, with Dustin Hoffman and Tootsie, right. uh, you know, being this huge bit or having Dustin Hoffman's character as a woman sitting in a dressing room with a naked Gina Davis. Uh-huh being huh, he's getting an eyeful it's also a crime at this point right right you know,
0: i think i remember where that conversation started with her is that for christmas i got the new criterion blu-ray of some like it hot oh which sure is the same is men dressed as women like that that is the thing and and obviously there's a broadway show it's just closing now yes but is surprisingly progressive especially for a movie from the surprisingly,
1: 1940s that the last line almost redeems so much yeah. of the comedy the nobody's perfect line yeah it, that's a self-awareness that you don't expect from that period.
0: Yes, you know? yes, exactly. And it could have been progressive thinking or it could have just been like, well, that's a good line. Well, which as writers, you like, you get to a point, where you're like, I don't know what the
1: deeper thing is, but that's a good line. That's just it. the fact that it is a good line suggests a certain progressive thinking. Right. Oh, that's funny. But is it funny? What, for what reason? Yeah. Because it defies expectations which yeah. means you understand what the expectation is, which means that yeah. because that's all humor is, is defying expectation. That's why a man dressed up like a woman was funny for so long because it defies expectations. Right. But when we live in a world where the expectation is, we are not defined by our gender. All of a sudden, any humor that, that, that was derived from that becomes a question. It becomes a, well, then what's the humor? Is the humor right. simply that man is dressed like a woman Uh, Again, I guess calling back to Medea because Medea is a fully formed character and embodying a fully formed character. And then you're like, well, again, that notion of humor raises questions. Big Mama's House, Medea, back to Flip Wilson. Really?
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because or, it's um,
1: all character. Uh, Jamie
0: Fox was Jamie Fox's character on in Living Color. Oh right,
1: I don't remember <laughs> yeah. the name, but yeah, I don't remember either.
0: But yeah, you know, yeah, that was another. I mean, just another. But
1: it was a fully tradition. realized character. Yes, because wasn't the joke in Medea and uh, is not, not that it's a man dressed as a woman. I mean, that's the humor. That's from, Big Mama's house. Right, that's Big Mama's house or, yeah. or Miss Doubtfire. Um, yeah, or Mrs. Doubtfire. Right. Yeah, you know, because we know we're in on it. Right, we're in on it. But in yeah. Jamie Foxx's case, it was how. Uncommon, a human being you're looking at, <laughs> yes. right? How strange it would be to encounter this person, yeah. And this person is not a man dressed as a woman, but a very unfortunately proportioned woman, <laughs> right? <laughs> I guess,
0: I mean, this is not at all expected to go. Yeah, this yeah I don't know how we got here, but all right. is not at all where I expect to go. But this is fantastic. I don't want to really like weirdly really transition out, but at the same time is uh, would you have a take on if someone came to you and said we want to do 12 episodes of bosom buddies right so bosom buddies for the younger was a show from the 80s is that starring a young tom hanks That's where tom hanks where came where the from, premise really. was they he and Peer, the late great peter, peter scolari yeah. could not get an apartment and the only place they found was a one for women only so they dressed as women so they could live in this place it was not pervy in the way of, like Porky's was or something where it was like that idea
1: but it was they, they were played on that notion a lot they did of so course because they were still the humor. Holding, they were still yeah dude, they were wild blooded category. heterosexual men right. they also played their twin brothers or yes yeah, you know they, <laughs> they, so, they, yes. they so all the women so would come to and
0: yeah date the women that they were friends with as when they were uh, so i women. think
1: the very first thing Which i would yeah, would you have i, I don't want to yeah. put you on the spot no no the first thing i would say to any producer is why would you do this yeah <laughs> i mean that would be my very yeah. first like inclination is what are you trying to achieve yeah. with this specifically are you hoping to tap into some kind of market that I'm not aware of? Are you doubling down on old tropes? Or is this going to be about the fluidity? Because I would say that one way to approach it is that to have characters decide to defy the rules of an all-gender-based place by dressing up as the other gender and and basically sticking it to the man basically saying you have no right to to disregard me based on a, a gender perception yeah a, a more progressive take on it would be not that they are necessarily trans in their in their identity as much as they are fighting the the establishment that allows for gender uh, discrimination and in that right, I would probably have it be women dressing as men.
0: Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I was actually just trying to rack my brain about the few times, because that that has come up in Hollywood a couple of times. Just one of the guys. I know just one of the guys the was a big one. There was an Amanda movie in the 90s. She's the man. In, she's the man. There it is. I know it's a version of Twelfth Night. Twelfth I remember the right. name of it was. Well, and that's um, just it.
1: The common trope of that, yeah. going back to Shakespeare, is, yeah, you know what? This has always been a part of our consciousness that that there is an entertainment value to the mistaken identity and to go over the board with the ex- mistaken identity extending into gender it has always been a thing. But of course, with Shakespeare, a lot of people don't take into consideration that Shakespeare had a cadre yeah. of actors who played women. Right. There were men who played women. And yeah. there was a point at which their ability to continue to play women was coming to an end. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, there are characters who are women playing men it's like probably to accommodate these actors who are not yet fully m- men characters, but can affect the bridge between yeah. being a man and a woman. Yeah. Um, so then you would have been <laughs> at the Globe
0: watching Olivia right. being performed by a man. Yes. Yes just playing as a woman just a as playing a man, a man. <laughs> that's <Yeah. is> correct <laughs> and, and I that, say we, we give we don't give enough credit to no. audiences from even back then of yes yes
1: I buy we me accept me as a this. yes yeah. absolutely well because if you ever want to get a big ooh out of really young kids in school you tell them uh, juliet was played by a man you yeah. know uh, romeo and juliet those were two male actors. And the ooh is so fascinating because that gender awareness, and I'm hoping that it's changing as we speak, but that gender awareness goes all the way to the root. Just this knowledge of boys, girls, and things of that nature are so fundamental that you can really break a child's mind. Because even if they accept homosexuality, and even if they accept these things as the norms, Mm -hmm. to subvert their idea of this romantic, classic couple, It introduces a new paradigm to them, one that they can fully accept, but also it elicits a response. They're like, oh, because they're just surprised that was the case. And yeah, it's so weird that our societal norms create these borders and it takes time to kind of unlearn them. My kid is trans. And in that conversation has been an evolution of thought because it was, are you... Trans man, which was originally a concept, and then it's, no, it's non-binary, which is another discussion entirely. And but it was trending towards male, and so you find yourself in a, an amalgam state. And and being a writer, it's very weird to try to find the the right words and the right verbalization. Yeah. We're Imagine. living in the wild west. I think right. that this is a period of time that we have to go through to get to. The gender equality that we crave, right? Uh, it's going to take time to get to a place where we're not using gender either way, in in any way, to identify people's individuality. It's just such. A, it's going to be a. It's a growing, growth period that we're going yes, oh, have to have. Yes, absolutely. And
0: I think that even and just sort to get back to writing, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm loving my the conversation, but to transition back into what we were talking about is that it opens up a huge amount of possibilities. Four characters.
1: Oh yes, absolutely.
0: Well, that's, that's the. Thing. There used to be the horror of what would Die Hard be if it was a woman. I was like, yeah, but like you don't understand. Like so many of the old story tropes can be absolutely upended by changing all of these things around. Yeah, and it may you know when jealousy isn't a factor. Yeah, absolutely. Then how does Othello play if it's just like, oh yeah? Well, Desdemona likes to sleep around. What are you going to do? Okay, all of a sudden that. I mean, I know that that is what the story is about, but. Once you remove some of those boundaries, I think it opens up storytelling as opposed to.
1: Well, what you learn is limiting, it, especially as a writer right now, I think is not because always going to be a need for boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy finds. Sure. It. That's always absolutely. going to exist. Yeah. But what I found is if the story doesn't revolve around their genitalia, <laughs> right, <laughs> there is no sex to there's no gender to worry about. I find many of my characters, it would not change anything necessarily. It would change the way it's played and probably perceived. Mm-hmm. But storytelling-wise, their function in the story yeah. can be justified by either gender. And I think that that's saying something because, honestly, if John McClane were Jane McClane, right. it would still be a thrilling story. Okay. It would still, there is nothing that John McClane does that's masculine. When you think about it. Yeah. We assigned it masculinity, shooting guns, sure. running around. Right. But, yeah. Exactly. You know, this finger, yeah. it works <laughs> on either gender. <laughs> it's just a thing. And it might even be more compelling to think about one female identifying yeah. character running through the ducts and killing a bunch of terrorists. We, we've definitely gotten to a place where it's like we've coded characters yeah, by gender, as they should be coded by their actions, and the question yeah. is, are those actions achievable by any gender? Right. And yeah. nine so times they're, they're out of ten, confused. they are.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: There also is something uh, about
0: when you just switch he to she in terms of on the script page. Yes. It doesn't. Oh, it doesn't. Work no, it does not. No. Yeah, right. yeah. Because you, it, it, like, you have it to be aware. <laughs> in Alien, basically, Ripley yeah. was written as a man, and yeah. they didn't change anything, and it, and it absolutely works. But on the stuff that I would say, like Atomic Blonde, where you try and just make it Jane Wick, right? it doesn't really, because it's like the tropes of Bond, I guess, more than anything else. I mean, because that's essentially what Atomic Blonde was. I didn't think it worked because you just tried to make it, what if James Bond was a girl, and that's where you stopped?
1: Right. You didn't take into consideration the implication. Mm. However, again- a character's action wise it works right. but
0: there's something fundamentally that this doesn't like the James Bond tropes don't quite line up right
1: and i don't well with that is specifically atomic blonde as uh, if it were just dedicated to this action it, it's trying to shoehorn any awareness of it makes it difficult because ultimately it just didn't have a good plot right and that is the same
0: trilts we've seen a hundred times before and just changing right.
1: the gender. Because if it was a male, it would be equally disappointing. Forgettable. Yeah. Equally forgettable. I don't even yeah. remember what the thing was. What was the right. thing? What were you after? Right. I don't know. Right. All I really remember is there was an ice tub. That's right. There's
0: sometimes where you're like, man, that actually went on forever. And then sometimes you're like, man, that action scene went on forever. Right.
1: It's like, uh, <laughs> there comes a point where you're like, uh, unless I care about uh-huh. the reason for the action can be as stellar as you want it. I just, and somewhere along the way, writers have diverged into Michael Bay <laughs> action, but then the action isn't, isn't commiserate with the story. It's like the story is far too heavy for the type of action that you've chose <laughs> you know? so yes. it's, it's so, somewhere uh, in the middle there. It, 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 Cause it's like the John Wick uh, uh, formula. Uh, in the first John Wick, everyone was on board. Kill the dog, everyone dies. And you didn't so when you started adding to that mythology, you're really messing with a perfect formula. The formula was everybody knows why everyone has to die. Yeah. And the second one was, I kind of know why everyone has to die. (laughs) And the third one was Halle Berry has dogs. And then (laughs) exactly right. And then we come around to the fourth one, which is just a bunch of action sequences. it was just yes. like so many action sequences that I forgot that there was a point. Right. Like there came a point where I was like, Oh right. Pennywise yeah, wants to kill him. At,
0: at some point. I, yeah. That one of the things I, I I'm actually thinking about lately that I don't, I don't have a, I don't fully formed uh thesis on this yet, but there's something about the stoic action hero that doesn't quite work. If you're not at a certain level of acting and that's, or, or, or the, or actually, I, I, what I'm learning now is sort of like the way it's directed, and a thing. A lot of people can convey a lot with their face, and a lot of actors can't. Very true. And for a lot of, I, mean, I love Keanu Reeves. I have nothing against Keanu Reeves, and he's doing fantastic. Those movies did fantastic. But there's a certain point where into John Wick two and three, where I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. What, like, like, why like, did we go to during, Saudi Arabia? Yeah. yeah it's like, like what, what are we doing? What in is the your desert? plan? What, right? But, <laughs> the strong silent type words, but. Why did you get your finger cut off? I mean, it's, that, it sort of loses me a little bit. But then when you get to four, where you're sort of like the last stand of the gunslinger, I'm like, okay, I get
1: this. Well, he went back to being silent.
0: Yeah, uh, where it's I like, oh, I, said, had, I understand.
1: You're going to your last duel. This is what yeah. the movie's leading up to. Okay, yeah, this yeah, I John Wick should not have had more than five lines in all four movies. <laughs> right? Yeah. He should not yeah. have ever had to explain himself, he should not have ever had to say anything. He's Baba Yaga. He's a boogeyman. Yeah. He's a monster. And I, and yeah, no disrespect to Keanu Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah he's well, doing fine. The <laughs> more he talked, yeah, the less intriguing the character was. The more we saw of the world, of, of the Continental Assassin world, the less yeah. intriguing he was because he became commonplace. Yeah. It was like, oh, I, I didn't realize there were like fifty John Wicks out there. Right. <laughs> right. I didn't realize Everybody's that but you could opposite. get John Wick with two dogs and she, and it's a yeah. woman. And I didn't know that <laughs> we could get a Common in there as a John Wick. Uh, and and Donnie Yen is the blind John Wick, which right. is, I would have watched the blind John Wick movie. Yeah. Yeah, I know. When it got to the point where even the
0: characters in the movie were John Wick fans. Right. It was was like, how far have we come? We've crossed into something here where they're just like, man, big fan, blah, 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 (laughs) blah.
1: Right. We need, uh, somebody needs quality control on these movies. Somebody needs to be like, you know what? The mythology has gotten out of hand. And that's the truth of most sequels. Most times you expand or extend a story. Is that you have, because the more explanation you have of something, the less freedom the audience has to wonder and to, to, to come to, I always say this about the Indiana Jones franchise. Mm -hmm. I would think in my estimation, Raiders of the Lost Ark would be the greatest movie ever made, Mm -hmm. if not for the sequels. (laughs) If those sequels didn't exist, Raiders of the Lost Ark would always be my go-to answer as the best film ever. Yeah, Because it was so perfectly paced, so perfectly put, yes. everything was done. The set pieces were amazing. The look was incredible. But with every other Indiana Jones iteration, we learned more about Indiana Jones, yep. which made the character watered down just a little. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And, and, exactly. it's, and I love Indiana Jones. I'm a huge Indiana Jones fan. Right. But I find that each time we go out with Indiana Jones, he, A, becomes a little more goofy yeah, so we're losing that edge that he had in Raiders, and it just and then you get to
0: don't call it a snake and stuff too, and it's okay. You don't have to just reference back to
1: the right. You don't have to continuously explain why he is the way he is. Every yeah. time you show me more about his life, yes, the less I have to imagine, the less yeah. I have to work with. As oh, I love that character. So do you? Yeah. Because now, pretty much yeah, in the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, I now oh, I yeah. know the yeah. first. Twenty years of his life. And I now I, know too much about yeah, Indiana Jones. That,
0: I, I was that was my main problem with Last Crusade. Is yeah. I was looking at as Henry Jones Junior.'s Big Afternoon. It was right. like, wow! In in like six hours, all what? the things that made you into the person we know happened. That's amazing. Yes, that was <laughs> From, so bizarre. Not to mention, in one day,
1: I will never forgive
0: everything that formed about your character.
1: I will never forgive George Lucas. And I guess to a lesser degree, Steven Spielberg, for what they did to Marcus Brody. (laughs) Because Marcus Brody was a badass. He was a badass in that first movie. He was on top of it. He knew all the answers. He knew answers before Indiana Jones had the answers. And he was like, if I were your age, I'd be going after it. And I was like, yeah, I want to see Marcus Brody movies. And then in the third movie, they turned him into a blithering idiot. Like, lost in his own lost museum. In his own <laughs> I was like, no! <laughs> I think that speech that Ninnan that Jones gave about, uh, he knows a thousand languages, he'll disappear in the crowd. I yeah. would love to see that happen. Yeah. I think it would be far more interesting if Marcus Brody was that much of a badass, ran the Nazis in a loop, and then got caught through some other circumstance other than being right. an idiot.
0: Yeah. I do like, not. Yeah, they're, they're basically out of his goodwill, Nazis shoot. And a kid gets clipped in the arm or two. And that's what they drag
1: it. children down the street and hold guns yeah. on them and say, if you don't come right. out, we're going to execute these children. And then like from the crowd. Right. Steps out. and Takes, takes off. Takes off the, his you know, Yeah, exactly. exactly. How badass would that be? You no. Know, right. Like he was there. Like he was like, like just to the left of one of the guys. I want my Raiders, Marcus Brody. I want the Brody. Yeah. <laughs> that we were promised in Raiders. But yeah, <laughs> and I, I, this is such a side tangent.
0: I know. It's been a free willing conversation. I love it. So let, let's keep the, the imagination going. Let's make up a story. Okay. Let me ask you a, a series of questions. Let's say, first, uh, start right. out with I mean, basically, there's no wrong answers. It's just going to be sort of how we want things to go. First of all, do you want to pick a format first? Do you not want to pick a format at all, or do you want to let the dice decide? Because I have a dice table for this.
1: I'm all about dice. I'm all okay. about dice because I say I borrowed my wife's dice because I couldn't track mine down, and they were rolling hot today.
0: Okay. <laughs> so, I, so basically, my the thing is, I have the formats are. Right, I'm using a six sided die, so it goes uh, from one to six: book, TV, audio drama, film, play, or uh, wild card. So basically, that means you get to pick whichever one you want. So I'm going to roll, and we'll see what we got you. Anything that you were interested in most that's jumping out to you? <laughs> I'm kind of excited by any of them really. Okay, I've rolled a 5 so it is going to be a play. Excellent stage play. Which, stage play could be a musical like it could be anything along those ways. Okay. Then the second question is genres. I have a genre table or we can just uh, start talking about stuff and then we can see what comes up. Do you want to pick, first do you, do you want to pick a genre nope. and then secondly nope nope no genre roll the dice (laughs) okay (laughs) roll the dice now the the, the next question is do you want to just do one or do you want to do two genres so it is a i'm a fan of double genre i'm a a fan of mixed genre okay so i will do i will roll one time i got the next sided die here rolled an eight so that is a rom-com excellent mixed with a a one that's a one a historical fiction so it's a historical fiction rom-com play
1: loving it already all right. coming together.
0: All right. So we have that set. All right. So I'm going to be using the story engine for this. So the story engine is a set of cards you can use to help create stuff. You can find more at storyenginedeck.com. Uh, they're not a sponsor, but I would happily take their money because what they do is amazing. So I'm going to put this down so we are going to have our agent. We're going to have our engine. We are going to have our Anchor. And so Wait, these are all individual card. cards? These are all individual cards, yes. And I will read them off to Agent you, and then Engine, we can anchor yeah, let's, And let's see, this is the conflict, and then we have an aspect. So the aspect will add detail to a card. So I guess we're gonna say, <laughs> all right. And then we each have a we each have a swap, so we can ro- So each card rotates around. So like a the, the 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 character card will have four different archetypes on it, and then they have two different ones for like motivation, and then four different locations, and then and then sort of like for the anchor at the end. So right now. What we have is a vindictive enforcer. Wow. How appropriate with the John Wick conversation we just had. Wants to find redemption in slash for a forest, but they will bear the
1: scars for all to see. So really, it all boiled down to the forest for me because of all the things to anchor something to. Yeah. I feel like the forest and as far as enforcers go. Yeah. And forced in my mind with a historical context, gotta go with little John oh. of Robin Hood. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Right, so Sherwood Forest.
0: Of the story of Little John.
1: Well, oh, and interesting. The, the interesting thing is that a lot of people don't know this because I talk about it every now and then, and people are like, What? <laughs> a lot of people don't know that that the Sheriff of Nottingham won. Like no one knows this. The Sheriff of Nottingham actually poisoned Robin Hood. Oh. While Robin Hood was in jail, and famously, Little John had to hold Robin Hood up so he could shoot an arrow out the window, and he was like, "Wherever the arrow lands, bury me there." Huh. And so that's the story of Robin Loxley's grave: is yeah. that he shot an arrow out of the tower, yeah, and where it landed, they buried him. Okay. Um, oh, that, so we could—that's that's a great that place sets to up start. The yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, you, you could start literally with Little John at the arrow.
1: Yeah. Oh, exactly. that's so good. Yeah. That is and so good. The the interesting thing too is building a relationship if you because it's a rom-com. Yeah. Which it's pretty heavy duty start to a rom com. Sure. But the fact is Made Marion. Yeah. Recently single. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's that's true. But, but trauma bonded, the trauma bonding of Maid Marion and little john in a way that makes them so resistant to the idea of pursuing any kind of romantic love yeah allows for a lot of hijinks allows for a lot of longing looks because if i really wanted to like tweak it i would have them maybe little john and maid marion were having a long
0: oh interesting oh that's good cuz so that plays against sort of the king arthur lancelot thing so they're a little bit, it's a little bit more uh, interesting because they have that guilt. But now there's nothing stopping So it's like Lancelot
1: and-, yeah. Lancelot and Guinevere if Arthur died.
0: Yeah, it and, would be interesting you know- to have it be that Maid Marian is the, I guess it, you just call her Marian, <laughs> yeah. is the one who really wants revenge.
1: Yes, of course. Yeah, and and I mean, I, I, sort of like. Maybe we
0: should just. He's so on. powerful.
1: How 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 do we stand up against that? He killed Robin Hood, and, and you I'm know, not and, Robin Hood.
0: I like it. Robin Hood. Can set up
1: to him. How can I, Little John? Exactly. So, exactly. So. That's that's your your perfect arc is yeah. is is getting to that place, and I think what might stand as the best vengeance of all, yeah, is having everyone believe that Robin Hood won. Oh, yeah. Stealing the victory from the, the sheriff by, by continuing Robin Hood's antics and everyone talking about Robin Hood. And it's like, no, I killed him. He's dead. I won. It's was like, no, the people still rally behind Robin Hood. Yeah. The people still believe in Robin Hood. Yeah. Th-
0: yeah. That would be, oh, that would be really some nice grist for the mill is how do you make someone into a symbol? Into a, he right. was just Robin of Loxley how do we make him
1: into Robin Hood the story that everyone will tell right and the story they'll tell is how inept the sheriff was yeah and how, how how Robin Hood got the best of him at every turn yeah and and just think of the 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 disintegration from inside of the ego yeah you no know, constantly telling everyone I won telling Prince John I won. I beat him. And Prince John being like, I don't think you did. (laughs) (laughs) That's not what I'm hearing. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, I don't know. I was just out in the forest and I think I saw
0: him. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) That's right. We can even have it be that... There is supposedly Robin Hood is still out there doing stuff, and Little John goes to investigate this, and it's Marion
1: who had had been like taken up the mantle, essentially Robin Hood because lives. that's the vengeance that she sees most fit. Yeah, it's not just killing sheriff; you can't kill a legend. He has to steal. Yeah, the sheriff's thunder. She and and it can even get to a point where the sheriff has to finally admit that he yeah. didn't win, and then she kills him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can
0: also see it'd be interesting to do like the. Uh, since we're talking about Billy Shakes, to do the play within a play and bring in an Alan Adale. Like, yes. I remember what Paul's character from A Knight's Tale, like basically you're barred. Right, you're Jeffrey Chaucer. You're- yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. To have that in there, we need you to, to tell this story this way. Yes, and then exactly have be like King John's like no, I saw the play. I know how it ends. And right, exactly. Like not, we're no, living that's it. What it was. <laughs> you were there. <laughs> you were here, man.
1: <laughs> yeah, because then yeah, great comic relief in the in the, the King John who is oblivious to the truth. Yeah. He's he's taken by the story. he's like, "Oh, did you hear about this?" <laughs> like that did not happen. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's right. Yeah, so the end like the end of act 1 is the play. Like you get to right. see the play. I exactly, mean, the play happens. within a play. Yeah. Yeah, right. And then everyone afterwards says says no, I'm pretty sure that, like, you don't look great in this show. <laughs> That's <not> what, that, <laughs> like,
1: According to that, you were castrated. You were castrated. No, I wasn't castrated.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your so voice it's like wearing down all stuff to make it so that this guy who's so like the sheriff who's so protected and insulated and right. like to wear down his support. So even his own men are like, I don't want to serve that guy. Yeah, he's a eunuch. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're taking everything. Yeah, so that's that. that maybe that's the uh, Marion's like. I want to put an arrow in his eye, and, and mm-hmm. little John's going. Why don't we reduce him to nothing? Right.
1: It's like that's not enough suffering. You got to take the one thing he has. It's like well, what's that? His image of himself, his yeah. his self-love. That's right. We take you we
0: take to- his take like, money, money, taking Robin was great at the start. Right? He might have given four, but we need to take more. Right. We need to take his reputation. We, right. need to we take can't his take job. his gold,
1: we can't take his life. We have to take his pride. Yeah. Yes oh that's so good that's so good there's the name of it the pride of sherwood forest oh
0: look at that named it and everything <laughs> i thought it would come at the end wow that is great all right so who else i mean does will Scarlet have a part in this absolutely
1: they all do they Friar up. tuck because there's a trope to pull on with like the three amigos where they're all dressed like the three amigos. Oh yeah. So if yeah. everyone at one point or another is Robin hood during the course of the show, yeah. like he shows up in inexplicable places and to the point at which the sheriff thinks that he's encountering a ghost yeah, because of the sheer volume of, and, and then that revelation yeah. of, of the plan of how it came about. Because I think there is ways to mask from the audience how it's playing out because if you start at the arrow knowing you're burying robin hood yeah. and it's john and marion and there we must have our vengeance but then you just skip forward yeah and someone is reporting seeing robin hood in the forest and then you just basically it, it becomes a mystery
0: yeah and, because and we and, know one thing we know is robin is dead like right you said at the start
1: right and so we're watching the sheriff unravel yeah because it would be great to have him be at such a pinnacle of character, so smooth, so together, have everything he wants just so. Yeah. And then the reports of Robin Hood come in. Right. And he's like, No, it's an imposter. Yeah. And but they keep coming in. And so it's the gaslighting of Sheriff Nottingham. It's the gaslighting of Sheriff Nottingham. <laughs> I and it. I think that so that like at the end of the act yeah. when they, they do a a play within a play yeah. where they talk about how Robin Hood snipped his balls off. Yeah. And and he's like, that did not happen. It's like, <laughs> yeah, standing up. His voice is very high. high. <laughs> Give me some light. His is That yeah, did exactly. not happen. <laughs> that did not happen. It's like, you are a little more soprano there. <laughs> his aim was so good. Right. Why speak so high?
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's talk about the rom-com then of it now. So we need to, yeah. I mean, obviously it'll be dramedy at this point. I don't think right. there's a way to do it as a flat out like comedy, but I guess what are the obstacles then that are keeping the two of them apart?
1: Well, it starts at yeah. guilt. I think that that – Okay. That's a good that, thing. Is, to me
0: the – They're attracted to each other, so we already have that. The They've already are just, they consummated that essentially.
1: Well, yeah. I think that that beat is important. Yeah. Is We see in their the first few times we see them together that they're obviously – holding back, that there's something keeping them so that the revelation, and I'd say that this is closing in on the play within a play right before the break between acts is, is the reveal that they had been conducting an affair. Oh, it's it. Oh, it's in the play. Yeah. That, 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 that they can't, they can't be together because they don't deserve to be together because of the way they conducted themselves when Robin was alive. So that gives you, that gives you plenty to be goofy with them yeah. in their avoidance of each other, but then it kind of hits with a really hard, the reason why they're not consummating, the reason why they, they, they're not just off in a cabin somewhere right. is because they are dealing with the guilt, Yeah, which makes the second act about resolving the guilt. Yeah. And, and that can even be like in a conversation with Will Scarlett. Yeah. Where Will Scarlett says he knew. Oh wow. And more than that, he was happy. Yeah. Because he knew he could never be the friend to you that you needed and the lover to you that you needed. Yeah. Because he, he was always Robin Hood.
0: Right. And also he knew that he was not gonna retire. He was always he
1: was always on the run. He was always fighting. Yeah. He was yeah. His purpose was never to be there for you. Yeah. No matter how much he wanted to. Yeah. And that becomes like the permission for them to finally embrace each other. And, and, and so I think that arc is we, we're, we're wondering why they act so weird together. And then we learn, oh, because they, they feel like shit. Yeah. (laughs) And then coming back down on the other side where it becomes more and more unbearable. Yeah. Maybe even to the point at which Marion's like, I'm going to Scotland. I'm, I'm leaving the country. Yeah. I can't see you every day and and this is too much yeah and then and then the revelation however it is maybe friar talk i was like shouldn't tell you this it was in but you know <laughs> oh that's really good but does that still count after he's dead ah uh, he's dead <laughs> man yeah i'm not a good friar <laughs> so, so i think that uh, the the ability to reveal that not only did robin hood know about it but he he gave it his blessing to it yeah kind of and that's the classic romantic rom com, like ah, yeah. how how do you resolve it? You find out that it it was the best for all parties.
0: Yeah, yeah so we have the final like denouement of the sheriff, where he is humiliated. They're not even uh, she could kill him, whatever. But they they've done what they wanted to do, which is destroy the vengeance and make true. so even thousands hundreds of years later we're still like we're still telling the story yeah <laughs> that the guy. sheriff Everybody was that stupid guy. and then she's leaving and then has to, he has to sort of watch her go and then you have that 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 thing if we're like oh they're ne- there won't be together and then you have the friar talk thing, right. and be like i didn't take a vow of silence let me tell you then. i don't
1: i don't know why he confessed to me i'm not catholic <laughs> <laughs> so we,
0: don't, we don't really do that in our thing but hey so uh, I, don't think, I think I i'm fine to him. Uh, i'm good with god so here you go and then my the running after you have the airport yeah, scene the airplane yeah. at- yes and then you can even sort of do a Scott Pilgrim thing of, well, she's like, I ha- I'm running away. And he's like, well, can I run away with you? That sort of, Without it's like, it's lives. not about stay here, stay with me. It's about, I just, I'll go wherever you go.
1: Yeah. That's, that's a beautiful ending. Yeah.
0: You shoot the arrow into, you can even shoot the arrow into the ocean and then we'll oh, chase the arrow.
1: Which direction do we go? Yeah, exactly. And then just pull back just and then the last line. shot
0: is the two of them like together as she yep, like shooting the arrow me. off. Yeah. And curtain. Yeah. Nice. Tony's Critics Choice <laughs>
1: <No>. <laughs> Community Playhouse <laughs> That's
0: right Touring Company The Pride of Sherwood Forest That was beautiful I love that and Unless you have any objections I would like to What I like to do at the end Is, is sort of release that out into the world So I like to like yeah, say, This idea is Creative Commons We would love the attribution But even that So if you were inspired by this If you liked what we did Take it, run it, write it We might be inspired and write it ourselves, but Little John is public domain, so like it's all out there. So make your version of it, and then you know link it back. I want to see what you come up with for the audience. Like it it is your story now. Take it and do whatever you will with it, Mr. Christopher Susie. This has been amazing. This is (laughs) so the conversation was so fantastic. Did not go any place I wanted it to, which is what (laughs) best conversations are like.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you for having me.
0: Well, the stories won't write themselves, so back into the world we must go. If you'd like to know more about Christopher Susi, you can hear more of his voice on his podcast, The Most Haunted City on Earth. That, alongside my audio drama podcast, The Swashbuckling Ladies Debate Society, are both available in your podcatcher of choice. Thank you for stopping by. If you're in this part of the world again, there will always be a seat for you at the table here at the Storywell.
1: Right on, right away.